Well, have you ever gotten a crazy answer or response from your kids or your spouse or a friend that like you didn't see coming, right? And you're like, what, what, what? You know, you kind of do one of those. Like, what did you just say? You know, I, I think we've all been there before. I'll never forget Coben when he was a toddler years ago, coming out in the middle of the night and scaring my wife and I half to death. You know, it's one of those moments where they get out of bed and they just scare you to death. And, and we're like, Coben, what, what are you doing? And he's like, we're, we're thinking it's a nightmare. You know, you're thinking it, it, all kinds of different things, right? But he comes out and he starts blinking his eyes and he goes, dad, my eyes, they won't stop blinking. And we're like, okay, um, Go back to bed. Stop blinking your eyes. You know, I mean, he just said something so off the wall that it's just, it, it, it's crazy. It just totally catches you off guard. Maybe your spouse has done this before. No, no elbows. Okay. No, no elbows. Maybe your spouse has done this before. I'll never forget. We were in Florida. This is years ago. And uh, we're, we're packing up to leave. We're about to have the drive from hell, you know, with your kids in the car across country. And, and so we're packing up all of our stuff. I'm packing up this, this kitchen uh, and all of our stuff and the groceries and things like that. And these boxes and in this wagon and our totes and all this kind of stuff. And I think I'm doing a great job. Like I'm thinking, I'm just, you know, I'm here, I'm getting everything organized. I'm getting everything ready. Like I'm, I'm being a really, really good husband and dad right now. You know, I'm helping, I'm pitching in and, and Darby comes into the kitchen. Now, let me preface this by saying, I throw myself under the bus here all the time. This morning we're throwing Darby under the bus, okay? And she's giving me permission, all right? She knows what I'm about to say. She's giving me permission. She comes into that kitchen and she starts looking at the job I've done. She starts looking at the boxes and the toast. She's like, what is this? You know, she starts pulling it all out. Like, this looks awful. This looks terrible. And I'm just like, uh, what? Like, that's not what I was expecting, right? That, that's, that's not what I, I was thinking she was gonna say. Like, she totally caught me off guard in that moment. My guess is you've had one of those moments before. Then this week, we're on our elders retreat. We go a couple of times a year, get away with our elders and we pray and we plan and strategize. And, and uh, we're, we're sitting around a campfire one night, it's freezing cold and we're kind of bundled up and comfortable, just, just chilling, you know, just hanging out around this, this fire. And all of a sudden, one of our elders, Mitchell, goes, hey, have, have you guys ever tossed coals before? What, what, huh? Like, I, you know, all of a sudden now, like I'm awake and I'm kind of engaged. Like, what, what, are you, what are you saying? What do you mean toss coals before? He's like, yeah, you know how some people, they, they walk on coals. Well, you can take coals out of fire and you can pass them. And I'm like, no, you can't. You know, no, no, you don't do that. And he's like, yeah, sure, it's easy, watch. And he gets one out and he starts kind of juggling it. And then he passes it to Brandon and Brandon starts doing it. And then they pass it to me and I kind of slap at it. You know, I'm like, no, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want any part of this. Well, by the end of the night, sure enough, I was passing coals, you know, just around the, tossing the coals around. We were tossing the coals around this fire. If you're a child, don't try this, okay? Wait till you're like 40 and stupid, okay? Okay, so, so, but Mitchell, he totally caught me off guard. You know, I'm sitting there, we're just chatting, having a good time. You guys ever toss coals? What, what? Huh? Are you crazy? Listen, today, Jesus is going to respond to a very tragic situation in a way that's going to totally surprise you. It's going to totally catch you off guard. And here's the point, like, like here's what Jesus is doing here in this moment, that this, this warning that he's going to give is in such a surprising way. It's in such a, a, a set of shocking circumstances that, that he's going to issue this warning. And, and the point here, the, the point of this warning in the midst of this tragedy is to wake you up. It's to, it's to wake you up. It's to catch you off guard so that you actually consider and hear maybe what Jesus is trying to say. Like if you weren't 
paying attention, what Jesus is going to say is going to wake you and you're like, huh, what? Huh? It's going to cause you to pay attention. It kind of caused you to, to sit up and say, wait, wait, wait a second, Jesus. What, what are you saying? Like, what are you doing? And in doing so, you, you consider all the more what Jesus is trying to say. And so my prayer this morning is if you're asleep, man, Jesus is going to wake you up today. So. We're in the middle of the gospel of Luke. We're going verse by verse, studying the gospel of Luke. We're not just studying the gospel of Luke in here. We're studying the gospel of Luke in our city groups. Now's a great time to get into one of our small group Bible studies. We call them city groups. Jump on our app and fill out our form and let us know that you want to get in a group. But we're going to study these same verses this week. We're going to study these same verses in our daily devotionals. And then we're going to invite you to study these verses this week with our family, uh, family table talk. It's a Bible study resource under the Bible study tab on our app. Your kids, our students right now are studying these same verses in an age-appropriate way. And the table talk's a great resource for families to get around a table like a lunch table, maybe today after church, and discuss the word with your family this morning. We're in Luke chapter 13. If you've got your Bible, turn there. If you've got our app, open our app and go to the message notes. If you don't have our app, now's a great time to download it. It's called the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store, click message notes, and you can follow along. All the verses and the points, everything is there for you. You can even fill in the blank as you go. It's a great way to stay connected. As you're opening our app, as you're turning to Luke chapter 13, I want to remind you of something I said last week, uh, of a picture uh, that God gave me about a week ago of kind of what our church is and, and where we're doing and, and, and what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. God reminded me as we're preparing for this fast that our church is about to enter starting this Wednesday. He reminded me of Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter one. You, you, you might remember the story. The king of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, has taken uh, the, the, the Israel into captivity and Daniel and his friends are in captivity and, and King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to retrain and, and re-educate all these Israelite boys, Right? He wants to get rid of their Jewish identity and he wants to retrain them and re-educate them in the ways of Babylon, which by the way, is what our culture, the, the spirit of Babylon is always trying to do in every culture, in every age. We, we see this starting with, with the Tower of Babel in, in Genesis and going all the way to the end of Revelation where it's the spirit of Babylon, it's actually the city of Babylon that's waging war against Jesus and the people of God. So, so the spirit of Babylon exists in every age and is always trying to take the people of God, capture the people of God and re-educate and retrain them in the ways of Babylon. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here in this moment. And Daniel and his friends are like, no, 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 we're not going to defile ourselves. We're not... We're not going to defile ourselves. And so they tell the king's attendant, hey, we're not going to drink the king's drink and the king's food. We're going to eat our, we're going to drink our drink and drink and eat, eat our food. And the king's attendant's like, no, you can't do that. Like, you're not going to be healthy and uh, the king's going to have my head. And here's what Daniel says. Give me 10 days. So Daniel says, Daniel says to the king's attendant, hey, give me 10 days. Give me 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, right? If, if we don't look healthier than all the other boys, then We'll do what you're doing. But, but if at the end of the 10 days, if we look healthier in our appearance and in our ability than the other kids do, then, then let us continue to do what we're doing. Well, at the end of the 10 days, after Daniel and his friends drink water and eat the vegetables that, that they commit to, to eat and drink, they look healthier. They appear healthier. They are healthier. 
And, and so then the king's attendant and Nebuchadnezzar changed the diet of all the kids in this re-education, this retraining program. They, they changed the diet for everybody because Daniel and his friends are clearly healthier, having remained faithful to God and, and not being defiled by the spirit of Babylon. They look and appear healthier. And, and, and God kind of told me a week ago, hey, Clayton, that's what we're doing. That's what you're doing. That, that's who the city church is. We're, 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 we're testing. We're, in, we're kind of in a test to, to, to see what God is going to do with our water and vegetables, which is studying the word verse by verse. It, it's Jesus and his word. And, and so here's what I'm betting. Like here, here's what I'm guessing that like after 10 years, Daniel had 10 days after 10 years. Here's what I'm betting. I'm betting, I'm guessing that this philosophy is going to be more effective at making disciples that make disciples. That, that it's going to be more effective at helping you and your kids and your grandkids resist the spirit of Babylon that wants to capture them, re-educate them, and retrain them. Like I'm just betting that this philosophy is going to be more effective at making healthier disciples of Jesus, more faithful disciples, deeper disciples, more effective disciples, more steadfast disciples, more generous disciples, marriages that are richer, kids that know what they believe and, and, and why they believe it. And for those of us that are here for the long haul, like for the marathon, I believe that you're going to look back after 10 years, 20 years, and you're saying, man, I'm so glad I stuck with that diet of the word and Jesus. Pastor friend of mine, couple weeks ago said this. He said, play the long game. Don't go for something cheap and frail. Go for something that is deep and beautiful and enduring. And, and we do that because the spirit of Babylon in every age is trying to capture you, capture your kids, capture your grandkids, re-educate them, retrain them in the ways of Babylon. And the only way we're going to resist that capture, that, that retraining, that, that, that re-education, and if you have a TV or social media, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The only way that we're going to resist that is if, is if we've been faithful to the diet that the Lord has given us. But, but not only that, this life, we're going to see it here in the passages we read today, this life is going to punch you in the face. Like it's going to come like a sucker punch. And if, you, if you're not there right now, just wait, right? Just, just hold on. You're, you're going to get that phone call. You're going to get that report. This life will sucker punch you right in the face over and over and over again. And what happens when we suffer? Usually our, our faith is rocked. Sometimes we're disillusioned. Sometimes we, we start to believe that God doesn't see us or, or, or love us. And if our faith is weak because we've had a weak diet, then your enemy is going to take you out. He's going to take your kids out. But If we've got a strong, if we've got a deep, if we've got a rooted, if we've got a, a rich and, and beautiful faith as disciples of Jesus, we will be ready for the day of suffering. 
And so in light of that, we turn to Luke chapter 13. Would you stand in honor of the word of God? Hillary Cobb's going to come and read for us this morning. And as she comes, I want to remind you of what Peter said about the word of God. Peter said that the word of God, that the knowledge of God, it gives us all we need for life and godliness. And so as we study the word this morning, as we read the word, as you hear from the word this morning, God is equipping you and preparing you for everything that you need and everything that you're going to face. He's equipping you and preparing you, giving you all that you need for life and godliness. So let's wake up and let's pay attention to the word of the Lord this morning. Hillary. Hi, I'm Hillary Cobb. I'm married to Dylan Cobb. We are both leaders in the uh, city youth with the high schoolers. I am also the executive director of One Voice, which is one of the city church's mission partners. And so I'm so excited and honored to be up here today. So let's read some scripture. So about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all of the people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there were any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig cut, fig, sorry, y'all, my Bible bent. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener said, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Thank you. You may be seated. So Jesus is faced with, he's asked about this tragedy where where Pilate has murdered some God-fearing people as they're offering sacrifice. These are religious people. They're faithful people. These are remnant-type people that are remaining faithful to the Lord, maybe when a lot of people aren't. And Pilate murders them, and Jesus is, is, is asked about this, uh, about this, this tower also that, that falls on these 18 people. And so in, in the middle of this uh, of tragedy and, and suffering, and Jesus is, is being asked, like a lot of us want to know, right, right, why? Why, Jesus? And Jesus' response is shocking. Well, Unless you repent, you're going to suffer too. Uh, well, what? What? Jesus, did you hear what we told you? Like, what about their suffering? Like, why, why are they, why are they, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, unless you repent, you two are going to suffer. That's just, I, that's not how I would have expected Jesus to handle it. Like, I'm thinking he's going to handle that differently, right? Like, I would have been offering all these apologetic excuses if I had been there. I would have been apologizing for Jesus. Like, guys, sorry. Like, he's hangry. He needs some lunch, right? Like, like forgive him. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's saying, right? I mean, that's what a, a lot of us would have done, but no, not Jesus. What he says shocks us. He, he doesn't give some shallow response. He, he doesn't even quote like Romans 8, 20, which, which isn't around yet, but it's not like, well, 
God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, that's all true, but that's not what Jesus, that's not his, that's not his MO here. It's not a response that we expect. We, we expect him to explain it away, give some sort of nice platitude, but nope, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus' answer here, here's what his answer does do. Jesus' answer totally dismantles at least two lies. It dismantles two lies. The, the first one is karma. That if you're good, good things will happen to you. And if you're bad, bad things are going to happen to you. Jesus' answer here totally dismantles the lie of karma. And let's get real. Have you turned on your TV recently? Right? Good people suffer and sometimes bad people prosper. Right? So, so Jesus totally dismantles this idea of karma. These are religious, faithful people that Pilate murders. These are remnant kind of people that when all, every, when everyone else, when everyone else is turning away from the Lord, the, these people are still faithfully following the Lord and engaging in these sacrifices. And yet, they suffer. The second lie that Jesus totally dismantles is that if you're experiencing good times and physical blessings, then you're good. Like you're okay. He, he totally dismantles that. Like, like if times are good, then there's no real need for God or, or urgency for God. Jesus is like, nope. Uh, unless you repent, you're going to suffer too. Like if times are good for you, that, that, that's great. But unless you repent, you will suffer too. You see, we've got this false assumption sometimes that it's only in bad times that I really need the Lord. It's only in bad times that I've really got to seek the Lord or be urgent about spiritual things. And, and Jesus is like, no, you know, the time is now. Jesus' response reveals critical aspects of God's nature. And it reveals truth about our condition before a holy and righteous God. It, it reveals a lot about God's character and his nature. It reveals a lot about our, our condition before a holy God. And it says a lot about the evil, broken, sinful world that we live in and the results of that brokenness and of that sin. So, so let, let's talk about this for, for a little bit. These, these aspects of, of God's nature. Number one, this response of Jesus in this parable about this fig tree reveals that God is merciful. It reveals that God is merciful. Jesus' rhetorical question about a popular view that tragedies and, and physical ailments were due to personal sin, but his answer denies any such connection in this case. It's not that that's never true. It just, in this case, Jesus is saying, you think that they're, they were worse off than, than you, and that's why that happened? So, 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 so Jesus is kind of dismantling this popular view that, that, that only bad people suffer, and that only bad people experience tragedy. Jesus is like, no, 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 tragedy and suffering is a common human experience because of the sinful world that we live in. No, no, sin brings death, pain, and suffering to the world. And because the world is under the power of sin, suffering is a daily reality within it. But the fact that a person suffers doesn't necessarily indicate a direct relationship to his particular sin. It can, but, but that's not what's happening here. And then Jesus says this, unless you repent, 
you too will all perish. With this abrupt and very difficult and shocking answer to this situation and to these tragedies, Jesus is telling the people that they're actually asking the wrong question. Like, did this happen to them because they're, they're bad people? Uh, 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 why do good, bad things happen to good? Jesus is just saying, hey, listen, that's the total wrong question here. The, the question is not, why did that tower fall on those 18 innocent people? But the question we should be asking, here's what Jesus is getting to, is why didn't it fall on me? Why, why hasn't it fell on me yet? That, that's, that's where Jesus is getting here. Unless you repent, you're going you're gonna to perish too. They, they've located their astonishment at the wrong point. The scripture says life is like a mist. It's, you're, you're here one day and you're gone the next. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. You don't know when that day is going to happen. We, we just heard a few weeks ago Jesus tell a story about this man who had all these riches and had all this grain and, and wealth and he's wanting to build these bigger barns. And, and you remember what Jesus says to that man? He says, you fool, today your life is going to be demanded of you. T today is your day. And unless you have repented of your sin, you too will face judgment. Jonathan Edwards is a famous preacher and theologian in the 1700s, the, the 18th century. And he once asked his congregation to give him one reason why God hadn't destroyed them since they got up that morning. That sounds like a nice sermon, doesn't it? Really? Real inspiring. He asked them to consider that every moment that we live, every breath that we take, every luxury that we enjoy, every blessing that we participate in, it's a matter of receiving the grace of God, that it represents God's willingness to be patient with a people who've rebelled against him. The penalty for sin is death, and yet we continue to sin and become astonished and offended when God allows suffering for anyone. Every human walks in this world under the sentence of death. Every human has violated God, has violated his holiness, has broken his law. The very fact that we are allowed to live from moment to moment is because of the grace and mercy of God. But God's grace and mercy and his patience, they're designed to lead us to repentance. However, however, they can lead instead to a hardened heart. His, his kindness, his mercy, his patience, when they are presumed upon, can lull you to sleep. And so Jesus here is trying to wake you up. Saying, don't, don't, don't presume upon the grace and mercy of God. Unless you repent, you too will suffer. So, so number one, God is merciful. Secondly, though, this story and his response to this situation reveals that God is patient. God is patient. Jesus tells a parable about this fig tree that isn't producing fruit. And so to the farmer, it's worthless. And he tells his gardener to rip it out of the ground and take it up because it's just taking up space. It's, it's worthless. This, this parable symbolizes, first of all, Israel's last opportunity, the nation of Israel, to repent before experiencing the judgment of God. Three years signifies that Israel has had enough time to repent 
in the period of grace and opportunity is extended for another year, but only for a limited time. This digging around this tree and putting manure around it to fertilize it were common procedures. You, you would dig around it, loosening the soil so that water could flow easily to the roots. But, but fig trees usually don't need this kind of care. You don't, no, don't need this fertilization. And so what this story is revealing is that the worker is doing all that he can to save this tree. It's symbolizing that, that God is doing everything that he can to draw you to himself. Just like that song that we sing says, there's no lie that he won't tear down. There's no wall that he won't break down. That God is continually breaking down walls and breaking down lies and drawing you to him. And that's what he's doing right now in this moment. He's drawing you to himself using every available means to draw you to himself. The patience of the farmer with the fig tree reveals God's patience with us, that, that he expects us to be fruitful, to, to bear the fruit of a disciple of Jesus. And, and, and his patience is shown that if we're not faithful, if, there, if there's no fruit in a first year or a second year, even a third year, that God remains patient. But at the same time, it reveals that God is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit in your life that, that reveals that you are who you say you are. You see, the, 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 the tree isn't getting cut down, some gospel say, and thrown into the fire. Because it didn't do enough to be saved. It didn't do better and try harder. No, what's happening here is it's revealing the tree's not really who it says it is. This is a cultural Christian that believes there's something they're not. That maybe because they, they prayed some magic words that are nowhere to be found in the Bible, that they're safe. There's no fruit in their life. They don't look like a believer. They don't act like a believer. They don't talk like a believer. But they think they're safe because maybe they recited some words. Or they took communion or they got baptized or whatever the case might be. And this parable is revealing that, no, 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 it's not that you didn't work hard enough and try hard enough. It's that you were deceiving yourself into thinking you're something you're not. You, you aren't really who you claim to be. You're not really a disciple because disciples of Jesus would produce the fruit of a disciple. Jesus is looking for fruit because the fruit identifies. It's not that there's not enough fruit and you got to get more fruit in order to be right with God. No, it's that there's fruit. And, and if the fruit is there, it's identifying who you really are. You see, if you've ever kind of looked at maybe someone else that you know that that really loves and follows Jesus. Like maybe it's a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. Like you look at their life and you're like, man, they, they really love God and they're really pursuing the Lord and, and their life kind of looks different than yours. It's kind of the difference between an observer and a participant. And you're like, man, they really love God. And, and, and it, it kind of, it reveals that maybe you, you don't maybe love God as much as you thought you did. And, and they really pursue the Lord. And it kind of reveals that maybe you're not really pursuing the, the Lord like you thought you were, right? You, you see that difference and you're like, what, what's going on there? Like, what's What's that, what's that difference? 
Is there, is, is there something going on? Is there something different? Yes, let me tell you, let me answer that question. There's something different. There's something different about that person. There's something that person has that you don't have. Let's just get real. They, they've got the fruit of a believer, you don't. Let's just stop fooling ourselves. Like the people who love God and pursue the Lord and love his word and, and, and love getting together with the body of Christ, like love serving God and talk about Jesus. Come on, let's just get real. They've got the fruit and some of us don't. There is something different. They've got something you don't. And the chances are they've got Jesus and you don't. Let's just get real. They've got the fruit and you don't. You've been playing the church game. You've been going through the religious routine. It's why right now maybe you're bored and they're not. Jesus is looking for fruit. And he's merciful and he's patient. But at the exact same time, third, this parable reveals that God is just. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is patient over and over and over. And, and God, I'm so thankful for his patience with me that where, where I, I continue to get it wrong and, 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 and continue to have moments of great faith and moments of great faithfulness or unfaithfulness, right? And, and faithlessness and then moments of great faithfulness and faith, right? It goes, it goes back and forth. And God, I'm so thankful that you're so patient with me when I, I never have it all together. But at, at the same exact time, God is just. And if the fig tree doesn't have fruit, if the fig tree doesn't respond, Jesus says, cut it down and throw it into the fire. That tree, that person, that disciple isn't who they say they are. It's not that they've got to do better and try harder. No, it's just they, they were never who they claimed to be in the first place. And so he says, cut it down, throw it into the fire. In fact, the Greek construction here suggests that this last and final attempt, this last year that it's given is also going to result in failure because no matter how hard you try and how better you seek to do, you aren't who you say you are. That's, the tree isn't a fig tree. That's why it's not producing figs. You see, one of the biggest problems that we have in understanding the Christian faith is that we have not understood two of the most fundamental concepts in the Bible, mercy and justice. That God is loving and patient and kind and merciful. And at the exact same time, God is holy and righteous and just. We think God's obliged to us, that he owes us his kindness, that he owes us mercy. We're confusing mercy and justice here. Justice describes what ought to be done to those who've been righteous and what ought to happen to those who've been wicked. But mercy, by definition, is never an obligation. It's not something that God owes you. And again and again, God says, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. If grace is owed... And it's not grace. And this is what the New Testament is teaching us over and over 
and over again. And it's ultimately what we see in the cross, the collision, a beautiful collision of mercy and love and holiness and righteousness and just justice all collides at the cross where God is both merciful and patient and kind and loving and forgiving. And at the exact same time, he is holy and righteous and just as his wrath is poured out on his son for your sin and mine. It's the beauty of the cross that God is both merciful and just. That God can forgive a sinner like you and and me and his just and his goodness and his holiness and righteousness not be phased because his son, his son's death on the cross, his son's sacrifice for you and for me appeases his wrath and appeases his justice. And while all of that is true, and at the exact same time, there is a limit to God's patience. There's a limit to God's grace. God, the scripture says, will not contend with man forever. One day the flood comes and then it's too late. One day the flood comes and then it's too late. The Holy Spirit does not endure patiently forever. God is long suffering. God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. We we see that in this parable. We, we see the, the disappointment of God in that there is no fruit on this fig tree, right? So, so God gets disappointed. He gets angry. He's patient. He's long suffering. He's slow to anger. But there will be a time when the unproductive plants, when those unbelievers will be ripped up and thrown into the fire. We don't have forever to repent. We, we don't have forever to come to God. We don't have forever to bear fruit in our lives. It's just like in the days of Noah. They are warned over and over and over again, flee to the ark, flee to the ark, flee to God's way of salvation. And they resist. And what happens? That door is shut. The door shuts and the judgment of God is poured out. And and we don't know when that day will be, you don't, you don't, that's what Jesus is saying, repent or you two are going to suffer. You don't know that today could be your day. Tomorrow could be your day. Jesus could return. We don't know, we don't know when that day will be. And so that's why Jesus is saying with urgency and in a shocking way, wake up, repent or suffer. Would you wake up? Would you hear my voice right now today in this moment? Would you wake up? You're going to suffer if you don't repent. To repent, one theologian said, is not merely to regret the things that we've done or to apologize for them or to recognize that a wrong is committed. No, to repent is to agree that a change of direction is required and then to respond accordingly. To repent, one theologian said, means seeing that life lived outside of God and his Christ is not life as God meant it. Repentance begins with the sorrow, with a 
brokenness and a change in your heart that then produces a change of mind about my sin and the ways of the Lord and then, and then produces a change in my will where I actually begin to obey the word of God. Like Jesus said, if I love him, I'm going to obey what he commands. I'm going to repent and I'm going to seek him and do things his way. That's repentance. And our culture today says, nah, I'm going to do me. You do you, I'll do me. And and if you really love me, then you're going to accept, affirm, and celebrate my life choices. And because God loves me, he's always going to accept, affirm, and celebrate my life choices. See, see, our culture, the spirit of Babylon, is trying to convince you, trying to convince your kids, trying to convince your grandkids... That no, 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 repentance, no, 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 no. Did, did God really say that? No, I'm going to do me, you do you. You're going to love me the way that I am. And love means acceptance and approval. That's what the spirit of Babylon is trying to re-educate you with and retrain you with. And, and Jesus here is saying, no, 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 that's idolatry. That's wicked. That's evil. Because to come to me means you repent. You've got to repent. Or what? Or suffer. Yeah, God takes you the way that you are. Yes, God accepts you as you are. But he's not going to leave you the way that you are. You come to faith in Jesus. Jesus said, you've got to repent. You turn to me. You come to faith in Jesus. The old is gone. There's a new that comes. That, that's the gospel. You're, you're born again. There's a new spiritual life that springs up inside of you. And now you've got a, a passion for the Lord and a passion for his word. You want to know Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus and worship Jesus. The old's gone. There's a new life that's, that's springing up out of you and through you. You, know, you can't even explain where it's coming from. But that's, that's the gospel. You, you repent. You turn from sin. And you begin to pursue the Lord. And Jesus said, you show your love for me by obeying my commands. That, that's how you show you love God is through repentance. Now there's no life in Christ outside of repentance. And Jesus says failure to repent results in suffering. So here's, here's the big idea today. It's always time to turn to God. It's always time to turn to him for the first time. It's always time to turn back to God. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you've been away from the Lord. Listen, today is your day to turn back to God. Today's the day for turning to God. Forget tomorrow, forget next week. Today is the day. The scripture says today, if you hear the spirit's voice, don't harden your heart. Say, yes, Lord, today is the day of salvation. And I know some of you are like, Clayton, yeah, I know. Like, I get it. I know, I know, I, I, I know. And you know what? Uh, next week, or, or, or maybe I got I to gotta think about this. You know, I got I to gotta pray about this. No, today is the day. And listen, God's patience with you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, his patience is going to run out. By the scriptures today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because his patience with you is going to run out. 
He's doing everything he can to draw you to himself. But as you continue to resist, there's a day coming when his patience is going to run out and Romans 1 is going to happen to you. Romans 1 says he's going to to turn you over into your sin. He's going to give you over to it. Because you resisted and you resisted and you resisted and you, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah, I know. And his patience with you is going to run out. And that still small voice that maybe you hear right now, maybe you hear that still small voice whispering in your, and you hear it in your heart. You hear that still small voice. Listen, the day is coming. If you continue to resist where his patience runs out and you will no longer hear that still small voice. It's always time to turn to God. You're, you're, your assumption that because everything is okay in your life that you don't need the Lord, don't need God and, and, and there's no urgency or, or passion to, to really turn from your sin or, or your comfort and really follow Jesus, like, like that, 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 that you've bought into a lie. That because your life is okay and you've kind of got everything comfortable and easy, right? right, right you've bought into a lie that says because you've got all that together that you're good, you're not good. That's a lie. And it could just be, it it might just be that your good times and blessings are your worst enemy. It, It could be that your good times and your physical blessings, like it could just be that those are your worst enemies. You see, it's, I just, I really believe this. It is more dangerous. You are in a more dangerous spot if you're culturally religious, if you're a good person, if you're a church going person, if you're comfortable, like you're in a worse spot than the murderer, than the addict, than the adulterer. Because at least the murderer, the addict, the adulterer knows they're broken, knows they're sinful, and knows they need forgiveness, and knows they need the, 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 the mercy and the patience of God. They, they, they realize it, they, they get it. But for those of us that have kind of grown up basically good people and we've gone through some religious routine, we're actually in a more dangerous spot because we think we're good. We think we're okay and our ease and our comfort and our routine has lulled us to sleep. It's lulled us to to sleep. Jesus is saying, it's time to wake up. It's time to turn to God. It's time to turn back to God. And and here's what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna give you some behind the scenes uh, look at what's going to happen right after this service is over and right after you leave this place and, and, and you're walking to your car and, and, and you're going to lunch. Here's what's going to happen. You, you've heard this. It's time. It's time. Today's the day. It's always time to turn to the Lord, repent or suffer. And you're going to leave this place. And here's what's going to happen. Here's the devil's scheme right as you leave this place. Shh, go back to sleep. Jesus is waking you up in this moment and you're going to leave this place and devil, here's what the devil's going to do. Shh, go back to sleep. Here's another car. Here's a bigger house. Here's some more money. Shh, go back to sleep. Hey, what about that practice you've got to get to? What about that game you've got to get to? Shh, just go back to sleep. Don't, don't worry about that. 
He's given you a binky. He's given you a lovey to put you back to sleep. It's always the devil's scheme. Say, shh, don't worry about that. You're good. Times are good. He's putting you to sleep. And Jesus' shocking statement here is saying, wake up. Today is the day to turn to the Lord. Today is the day to turn back to God. And then at the exact same time, Jesus always is using suffering in this life that we all experience It's the normal human condition to point to the gospel that rescues us from sin and suffering forever. Like sometimes God uses suffering to like wake us up to eternal realities, to, to warn us that, that our idols, like the things that we've made God in this life are never gonna satisfy us. Sometimes, God allows your suffering to get your eyes and your heart back on him. And in that way, and in so many other ways, God is always using suffering for your ultimate good and for his glory one day. You see, all suffering, and here's what, here's what Jesus is pointing to at its depths here, all suffering points to the beauty of the gospel. Maybe you remember the story of, of Joseph. Joseph's brothers are jealous of him and they sell him, they're gonna kill him, but then they decide to sell him into slavery. You remember the story? And uh, he's in slavery and he ends up getting bought by Potiphar and he ends up in Potiphar's house and then he's wrongly accused of like trying to sleep with Potiphar's wife and then he goes to prison, right? And then what happens? Pharaoh has a dream, can't interpret it, calls for Joseph, Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph ends up becoming second in the land and all of the land and authority right under Pharaoh. Even through Joseph's suffering, God, and it's, it's through his suffering that God brings his own good and the salvation of many people. But then here's what's even crazier in the story of Joseph. And you may not have ever thought about this before, but the brother's own sin and evil that they commit against Joseph, God uses their sin for their own salvation. That, that's how sovereign and beautiful God is. That he takes your sin and even through your sin brings salvation to you. And so what the devil always means for evil, God is using for good. Through their sin, God orchestrates Joseph's brother's salvation. Through terrible evil and sin, God miraculously is always bringing redemption and salvation. And here, here's what Joseph says to his brothers when they kind of realize what's happening and they're, they're afraid. Joseph says this, you meant this for evil. God intended it for good. You sent me here, Joseph says, you, you did it. Like you're guilty of this. You, you perpetrated this evil, Joseph says to his brothers. You did this, but then he says, but God intended it. Like, but God was in control the whole time. Like, even in your evil and in your sin, God, God was in control the, the whole time. And throughout the story, we see this over and over and over again that that evil isn't in control, the, the abuser isn't in control, that, that sin isn't in control. No, God's in control the whole time. 
And over and over and over again throughout the story of Joseph, you, you see this phrase, and God was with Joseph. In the pit, in the middle of false accusation, in the prison, God was with Joseph all throughout his suffering and his abuse. Meaning, no matter where you're at in your sufferings experience, God's always with you. He's always in control. He, he, he's always with you. But, but, but this, this whole story points to the cross. This great act of evil and sin that Joseph's brothers commit and the suffering that Joseph endures, like God using all of that for his glory and for his salvation, and it all points to the cross. In fact, Peter would even say, just like Joseph did, like you put to the Jews and the Romans, like in, in Acts chapter two, you put him on the cross, but God planned it all along. Well, wait a second, who did it? Did they do it or did God do it? Peter says both. You, your sin, your evil put him on the cross, but, but God did this through his foreknowledge. It was, it was his plan all along. And so it's in the cross where we see the worst act ever, the, the worst suffering, the worst tragedy ever that God turns into the greatest act of salvation ever. We, we see in the cross, it's the beauty of the cross that God's mercy and justice collide there making him both merciful and just. And at the exact same time, the beauty of the cross shows us that even in the greatest evil, in the greatest sin, God's going to resurrect it to bring about the greatest salvation ever. You see, even in suffering, God redeems all things for your good and for his glory. And so what that means is, is your sin, their sin. It isn't the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. You see, the story of Joseph ends with him and his brothers that sinned against him. They're all reconciled together. They're all living in this new land together. It says they're, they're satisfied, they're, they're together, they're, they're, they're reconciled. And Joseph ends up having two sons. And here's what he names his son. He names one Manasseh. And he says that, that he names him Manasseh because he said, God in this new land, God has made me forget all my troubles. And then he names his second son, Ephraim. And he says, I'm naming him Ephraim because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That in the same land I was afflicted and I suffered in that same land, I am now fruitful. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And listen, Christian, that's going to be you. Like that will be you. This old land of your affliction and suffering, it's gonna be gone forever. All things are gonna be made new. There's a new land, a new city that is coming. It's on the way. And in this new land, in this new city, new earth with a new body that is for yours if you're a Christian. And in this new land, you're going to forget all your troubles. And in this new land, 
It used to be the land of your affliction and suffering, but this old earth, this old land's gonna be gone. And in the exact same place, God is going to redeem all things. And so in this new land where you were afflicted, you will be fruitful. Glory is coming. Glory is on the way. It's yours if you repent. You see, the answer to suffering is not a why, it's a win. We all suffer. The answer to suffering is not a why. You're, you're, a specific why is not going to help you. It's not going to bring healing to you. No, it's a win. And the healing that we so desperately seek, the relief that we so desperately seek to suffering is, is not knowing a why, it's knowing a who. And so it's time. It's time to turn to God. It's time to turn back to him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would wake us up out of a spiritual slumber this morning. Maybe you're waking up some for the very first time. And God, I pray that there's someone here that, that realizes they, they need to repent of their sin and give their life to Jesus for the very first time. God, I pray that they would listen to the Spirit's voice right now and they would humble themselves and they would say, yes, Lord, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm turning from my sin. I'm giving my life to Jesus so that I might be forgiven and made right with God. And if that's you, would you jump on our app and fill out our connect form? Let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. And then for others of us, maybe, maybe the Spirit's waking you up all over again and it's time to turn back to God. If you're hearing the Spirit's voice, the Spirit's whisper right now, say, yes, Lord. Don't, don't harden your heart. Listen to his voice. Yes, Lord, I'm coming back to you. God, we thank you that you are merciful and you are patient and you are just. And we thank you for the cross where we see your mercy and, and, and justice collide and meet in this beautiful rescue. And we thank you for the cross where all of our suffering and the evil in this world is, is shown to be defeated and redeemed. And God, we, we live in this already, but not yet. And so, so while the kingdom has come and we've been saved and we've been redeemed, we're, we're awaiting the full and complete redemption of all things where there will be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more tears. God, thank you for a new land that is coming where we will forget all of our troubles and where in the land of our affliction, we will be fruitful. We thank you for these amazing truths in Jesus' name.